Hello, I'm Rabbi Iggy, and welcome to Tattoos and Torah. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Tattoos and Torah. I am Rabbi Iggy. Um, thank you for joining us. Um, we have our guest today, who is uh, Dr. Sarah Gulick. Uh, hello, doctor. <laughs> hello, Rabbi Iggy. It's an honor to be here. It's an honor to have you. Um, so you are very impressive, and we've had a few conversations before, but for people who don't know, uh, for people who don't know you, um, uh, you are a uh, neuropsychology um, postdoctoral fellow at Clinical Neuropsychology Associates. Um, uh, Dr. Gulick has earned her doctoral degree from Chestnut Hill College, where she uh, specialized in the field of neuropsychology. Her training included uh, practicum experiences at Cooper University Hospital, uh, Drug mm-hmm. Brain Injury Center at Moss Rehab, and Clinical Neuropsychology Associates. Um, she completed her APA accredited internship at the uh, Gazinger. I think that's right, right? Yep, that's right. Uh, Grazinger Medical Center in Danville, uh, Pennsylvania. Um, her training specialized in neuropsychological evaluation with adults who have uh, neurodegenerative disease, traumatic brain injuries, attention deficit, uh, hyperactivity disorder, uh, neuropsychiatric disorders, uh, neurological condition, neurological condition, sorry, and other medical issues. Um but uh, Dr. Gulli provides cognitive rehabilitation and psychotherapy to patients as well. Um, but a lot of your work also recently seems to focus right on COVID-19 um, and around sort of like the right the long-term effects of co- of cognitive behavior and and screening tools for COVID-19 patients um, uh, and reporting symptoms of what that is. And we'll talk about this. Um, so uh, I read the articles, but um, it's really nice to have like a, a fellow slacker. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of downtime. You know, like, yeah. Exactly. Like, you know, what are you doing with your life, Sarah? Like really? <laughs> Just relaxing, going with the flow. <laughs> um so um, you know, I I mean I think right we, we, we start with, with the obvious, which is sort of um as as we're recording this, right? So we are faced with another uh resurgence where another variant, uh Omicron, um um which is uh you know, it's it's interesting just to start with a thing, right? Is sort of that that uh, I am a classic sort of right, so like uh, student, right? I'm a theologian, so I had to learn Latin and Greek and all that. And I'm finding some pleasure in the fact that now everybody has to learn the Greek yes. alphabet. Yes, it keeps you on your toes. Absolutely, yeah. Um, right, and uh, I, I just got a question not too long ago from some other sort of physician. It was like, how do you pronounce it? And I was like, uh-huh. it's Omicron. I a not Omicron. Oh, so there you go. Yep. I, so- Free lessons. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But um, right. So if we thought right, if we, if we thought it's okay, COVID, post COVID, Delta. All right, we're post that. Now we can kind of like rest and think about like the the long term effects of COVID. Right here, nature is like, no, no, you're still in it. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. What are you sort of? What are you seeing? Like, what's you know. Um, What's what's happening at the moment in terms in terms of your your field and 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 this resurgence? Yeah, it's a great question. So, a lot of the research is very quickly evolving. There's a lot of questions that we don't have answers to yet as to long term cognitive uh, sequela of COVID. Um, so that is just a really new area of, of research. At my practice, we have seen a number of patients coming in for assessment of their cognition after being infected with COVID. And, you know, it impacts work. People are making mistakes at work. They're having trouble with their memory. And there's also a big emotional component to it. Of course, whether you've been infected or not, um, the, the impact of isolation and that fear, it's triggering, you know, past traumas. It's triggering obsessive compulsive behaviors, anxiety. So it's just, it's a lot that everybody's going through right now, whether you've personally been infected or not, or if a loved one has caregivers, it's just, we're, we are definitely back in it. As you said earlier, you know, there was a period where I think everybody felt like we're moving in the right direction. And now 
recently, unfortunately, around the holidays, it's it's a reminder that we are not through this yet. Right. You know, I think so. So there's right. There's always these two tracks that I always think about in terms of, especially in conversations like this, which I find fascinating. One is, of course, thinking about COVID and all that, but but also this intersection of recovery, because right, one of the on one hand. As I was saying before, that like part of me is like now with this resurgence, and even with the Delta, felt like defeated. I felt like right. I felt like oh, here we go again, and and like I, I, right, and disappointment. I think okay, now we could have real holidays. Now we can have real time. Now we can do these things, and the disappointment of that, which is sort of like a psychological effect. But on the recovery end, I'm thinking like here's the lesson, right? You think you're in control, you're not, mm-hmm. right? How yes. You right acknowledge, right? You think in control and the universe is like, haha, nope. Yep, exactly. Right. Right. And and that is so true. There's so many parallels, I think, between recovery and COVID nineteen, the pandemic, getting through it, um, and having your coping skills oftentimes stripped from you, especially with COVID nineteen, with you know, not being able to see your family or loved ones or do activities that you used to rely on to, as an outlet for your mental health. Um, and I imagine that's very similar with recovery. Your, your coping skills are, are suddenly gone and now you're left uh, in many ways helpless and you're starting over. Um, and that's a really scary place for a lot of people. Right. And, and I think in that sense, and this is where sort of we come in and why this is so important because as somebody who's working around recovery and spirituality around recovery, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we're here to say, no, there are other skills that you can, you can work on. There are other things that we can sort of like develop that we can acquire to deal with, but not just the uncertain, the uncertainty, but to also deal with the fact that um, you can't have, you can't have soothing mechanisms. You can't actually mm-hmm. traverse this. Yes. You're not alone. Yes, absolutely. And that's the key, that discovery of new coping mechanisms of different ways to connect with people. And I think that's a big one that maybe some people may not have realized before the pandemic, how important that connection is to them in their life, how um, fulfilling that is. So in some ways, this can bring new light and a different perspective to what's important to people, um, connection being a big one, and and being creative with how you can get that connection, even during a pandemic. Right. In that sense, right, the pandemic, this particular pandemic, seems uh, particularly destructive mm-hmm. because there is the the medical component, mm-hmm. then there is, of course, the psychological component. But then the, the 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 spiritual component on top of that, mm-hmm. and and while the medical we may or may not be able to sort of at some point traverse it, mm-hmm. the rest is really long lasting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah, right. And it, it comes. It seems like it comes in cycles, right? Where we come to a place where maybe we've adapted, we feel better about where we're at. We may feel like some questions have been answered. Uh, spiritually, we've kind of made peace with what's going on. And then, boom, a new uh, piece of information comes out that kind of rocks your world and really shifts what you've accomplished so far. Um, So I think there's a lot of ups and downs and fluctuations throughout this process. Um, And I think one of the biggest factors in this, too, is communication and being open about it and getting past the stigma of, of talking about mental health and um, building bridges to have those conversations with others. And and in doing so, you're also creating connection with other people too. Right, and it, right, because right in recovery, we know the opposite of addiction is, uh, mm-hmm. is connection, right? Yuan Hari said it best. Yeah. Um, when we, I guess sort of you know I've never asked this question from a, from a from a psychologist's point of view, but when we talk about psychology, 
what is it about this connection that really is so therapeutic to us, mm. right, from a psychological point of view? I mean, you can talk about the spiritual from here until the cows go home, but, <laughs> but as a psychologist, yeah. so like, what, what is, how do you define it? How do you term it out for, for people who are perhaps less spiritual, but more mm -hmm. psychological or, or more clinical? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. So, and I love to hear the spiritual piece piece too. But I think from a psychological perspective, the the importance of connection comes from the need to be seen and understood and loved and heard, mm -hmm. which probably overlaps a little bit with the spiritual perspective. Mm -hmm. But I think in everybody, there's a deep need to be a part of something. Right. Um, and, and connection, talking about how we're feeling helps us feel like we we're not alone in that we're not the only ones sitting with these feelings these anxiety sadness fear they're normal human emotions so when we can talk about them with others it it helps us feel less alone and we can provide support to others and in doing so we get support back in return um so i think that's a big piece of it that just deep human need to be understood and feel like we're part of something so, so it's funny because the spiritual is exactly the last part you just said so that to talk on top of what you just said which is true but also to see ourselves as part of a larger continuum mm -hmm. right to see ourselves as part of a uh something bigger than ourselves mm -hmm. right so that that not just to just to be seen as an individual but to know that sort of like we are human and therefore we are connected to all the other human experiences before us and after us mm -hmm. absolutely right? exactly Right? Yep. And, so, and some people will call it higher power or God or whatever, but some mm -hmm. people will just call it which the way I do, which is our, if there is the divine, right? And the divine has created us in his image. If you really want to see God, because mm -hmm. you're not going to see God, but if you really want to see God, go to talk to another person. Mm -hmm. Look somebody else in the eye. I love That's that. That's where God is. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, when, when, so, as we're talking about this, right, uh, and you say, right, these are normal emotions, then why are we as creatures so terrible, <laughs> right, terrible at allowing ourselves to be like that, right, mm -hmm. to, to, right, because we all feel it and we all know, and you and I both know that nobody's perfect, that mm -hmm. everybody feels anxiety, everybody mm -hmm. like that, mm -hmm. and yet somehow we constantly pretend mm -hmm. like we don't. Yeah, it's so true. It's, you know, we are often our own worst enemies. And I, I'm, I fall victim to this too. But it's just, I think it's, in some ways, a protective mechanism that people fall into, of wanting to appear strong, and appear as if everything's under control. Um, and in many ways, that's just making it harder on ourselves because we're putting so much effort into appearing a certain way and we're in that same process we're really ignoring what's really going on beneath the surface but i i think it's just probably something related to um protecting ourselves maybe by by mm -hmm. ignoring our vulnerabilities but in doing so we're doing more harm in the long run right. Does it actually work? I mean, like you know, so like, right? Does it? Does is there, right? Is there an is there an element of it that actually works for us, and therefore we keep doing it? I, I think mm. as a species, not just as individuals. Yeah. Yep. And you know, that's a really important point there because oftentimes in therapy, there needs to be a part of you that's that's ready to unearth some of these deeper emotions that are uncomfortable. There needs to be a readiness and a willingness because for some people, they may not have the skills or the coping skills to, to manage those emotions or to know where to put them. So that's why it's for some people, you know, it, it might work for them and they may not get to that point of being ready to face those difficult emotions. Um, and I think, you know, it's that's a delicate balance in therapy and that we need to make sure we're not stripping a person of their um, protective gear too soon 
we need to make sure that they have some coping skills put in place, support, connection with friends or family, um, whoever it may be, or, or, and the therapist, but to really make sure that we're not just going from zero to 100 and then the person is left with, you know, all of these uh, emotions that can be overwhelming. So, yeah. Interesting, right? So, so it's like an exo, like an exoskeleton, mm-hmm. right? So, like, right? So, like, so it does serve a purpose in that sense, right? That way, they feel this sort of like "quote unquote" false safety, but some kind of safety mm-hmm. while they're exposed the more vulnerable parts. Is that mm-hmm. right? Absolutely, yes. And there's, that's exactly right. There's a, a purpose to that, you know, call it denial or call it ignoring feelings, you know, there, there is a purpose to it. It serves a function. It's can be helpful for some people. Um, but I think oftentimes for a lot of people, there's still a sense of unease mm-hmm. and, you know, they may not have the language to define it or understand what's, what's missing. Um, but that's where therapy can be really helpful um, or, or a support group to kind of slowly talk about it, unearth it, and um, get get support in that process. That's a big, big piece. No one can do it alone. You right. can't figure it out alone. That's for certain. A hundred percent. In Judaism, we have this thing because right, the Talmud and all the texts have to be studied uh, together, right? Mm-hmm. And there's this concept at the core of it, which is like 2,500 years old, which is called Chavruta or Mituta, togetherness mm-hmm. or death. Uh, right, so like this, so that, that the only way again to face oneself is to face another, right? Mm-hmm. Is to look at this mirror. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's interesting. It's it's slightly a fear thing, but uh, uh, as we were praying, like I was telling you, right? I'm from Belgium originally, and uh, between the variants, which I feel is this thing, between the variants, so between that and between Delta and Omicron, I got to go to. I got to go back home to visit my grandmother, who is who is a hundred years old. Wow! Um, yeah, I know it's, it's a little. That's crazy. amazing. And and she's mostly still there, right? I would say ninety five percent she's still there, but in the five percent that she's not, because she is uh, she's starting to show sort of right sort of dementia and, and sort of lost thing, right? She she sits there and she is transported to this other time, right? Mm-hmm. So she she doesn't make sense. She doesn't know what time it is. She doesn't know exactly what, like, right? There's a whole thing. Right. And and for the first time ever, I was sort of looking at her and she was sort of talking some 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 gibberish or mm-hmm. some like not clear, right? She was she was telling me like, oh, do you know that like, you know, Suzanne, my mother, right? Do you know that she had two boys? And I'm like, yes, uh-huh. I know, I'm, I'm yeah. one of them. But like, <laughs> but, but, but I thought for a second, that while she's sitting there, um, really not able to do much, right? Because of frailty, the brain is trying to protect her. Mm-hmm. The brain is trying to say, like, let's take you somewhere else. Let's take you somewhere that's nicer. Yes, absolutely. And that's so interesting that you bring that up because I do think oftentimes in dementia, when our memory is failing us, there's almost a a blissful ignorance that's right. within the, the, the person that, that it's a, in many ways, it's a gift that they're not aware of the deterioration. Um, Not always. Sometimes there's some awareness, which is, I think, of course, just makes the whole process incredibly uh, more painful. But that is, that's an interesting comparison that, you know, unawareness is a protective factor um, on some level. Right, like and then, like, like I said, like like this illusion or this sort of like the pretend, the pretending that everything's great or I'm normal yes. and all that. Yes. You know, so within that scope, which 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 is is interesting as as a as a as the thought process around recovery, but also around sort of this COVID thing. Um, when we um, when we if we lean into this, right, if we think about sort of these, these coping mechanisms, um, how can we use them for, for our benefit, right? How can we use those, those elements for our benefit as we, as we go through difficult times? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is the importance of self-care, mm. And oftentimes in society today, there's so much focus on productivity and being the best you can be and, you know, 
how many hours did you work and what what can you show for your work? Um, and I think that oftentimes self-care is not emphasized enough. Um, it can be looked at as being selfish, almost mm -hmm. taking time for yourself. Um, but really, it's a necessity. It's time for us to recharge and reflect and, um, you know, fill up our cup for the next day. And in doing so, in taking care of ourselves, we're making sure that we're more available for people in our life and, and for work, too. Um, I would say that's the first thing that comes to mind as far as coping skills. I do a lot of work around um, helping people schedule their self-care, which sounds almost right. <laughs> ironic, but treat it as an appointment with yourself each right. day. Um, it's not optional. I, I, I love that because I think that's really important because I think a lot of people see self-care or, or time off or whatever as something that you have to merit, mm -hmm. right? I, I work hard and therefore I, I think, but, but I always like, it should really be the other way around, right? So like, I can't do the work with if I don't take care of myself. Yes, right? absolutely. You, you merit self-care just by starting the day, right? Yeah. You don't have to prove that you've yes. done enough productivity to deserve, you yeah. know, your weekend. Absolutely, yeah, that's so true. And that's another part of it, like you said, that thought of, do I deserve this? And that can overlap with so many things with, you know, food, vacation, mm -hmm. um, just time for yourself at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day. But there's a sense of needing to justify it of, well, I deserve this because I did X, Y, and Z. And if not, I'm, I need to keep working until I feel like I'm worthy. And that's really something that only we can determine. Right. Yeah. And, and in that sense, I, I mean, for everybody's listening, it will never make you worthy. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Right. That's a, a worthiness is such a nebulous term. There's no answer. Um, so it's just interesting that we're we all fall into that, that right. trap of, you know, when will I be worthy? When will I earn this? And right. that's just not not healthy. It's not a good mindset. It's hard to break, though. Society. It's funny because I, right, I think that's where spirituality comes in, because yeah. right, so the, the beauty of, 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 of my work is to like, you're worthy because you exist. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. right? Mm -hmm. Because, because right at this moment in time, and I, I always think about sort of this because right, of like uh, ancestral math, mm -hmm. right? That yeah. in this moment, right, for, for us to be able to have this conversation, in the past 400 years, more than 4,000 people had to be involved in this, mm -hmm. right? Choosing wow. where to live and how to migrate and who to eat and who to have sex with, and mm -hmm. right? To create this one and unique phenomena, which is, you, Sarah, and me, Iggy, mm -hmm. right? That's this will never exist again. Yeah. And that is so amazing and hard to wrap your head around when right. you sit there with that. And I think it also brings in the, a new perspective of, yes, how amazing is that to be here today alive? And there's so much to be grateful for. And I, I, I think gratitude is another big part of... Um, overall mental health, taking time to look at what you're grateful for, whether it's the sun shining or your pet or food doesn't need to be huge, but just the little things that um, are, are pretty amazing. Yeah. And, and in that sense, back to like, and you're worthy just because you exist. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You, you, you deserve it. Exactly. Yep. You deserve those things. Even if you didn't work 12 hours, you know, you right. Even if, you do, if you did nothing today, you're still yeah. worthy. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. How do we help? Or I guess, how do you help people from a psychological point? Like, like help people find the worthiness or, or, mm -hmm. or at least right. Recognize, which I think you will agree this of that worthiness will never come from an external source. It will mm -hmm. never come from your job or your Maserati or right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I often talk about the most, toxic sentence in the English language is I'll be happy when, right? Yes. I'll yes. be happy when I finish this program. I'll be happy when I get married, when I have children, when I'm a million, whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And that, you know, that notion that it's, it's about the journey. It's not about the destination. So for me, 
something that I really like to focus on in my work with patients is um, the concept of values, and which which I often use um, the framework acceptance and commitment therapy act. Um, so there are six core principles in there, but I find myself really incorporating values the most. So what that looks like is working with the patient and asking them, what is the most important thing to you in your life? And there are a few exercises and, and questions that can help um, stir up some thoughts. But, um, you know, one example is think of somebody in your life that you admire, that you respect, and what is it that you admire and respect about them? That can kind of help trigger some um, values and, and unearthing what's at the root of your existence, what gives your life meaning. Um, and in, in doing so, I think worthiness is a natural um, product of that. Mm. What, are the, what are some of the other principles in this? Do, do you recall? Mm. Yeah. So part of it is also mindfulness mm -hmm. and being in touch with the present moment, being able to also step back from our thoughts and um, create some space and recognizing that our thoughts are not facts. Um, and mm. similar to our feelings, our feelings are not um, the end all and be all. We can appreciate them, acknowledge them and not shove them down and ignore them. Um, we could give them space to breathe, but we can also move on from them. They don't have to take over our day or our life. Um, and that's where the acceptance piece comes in mm -hmm. too. Um, and then one of the other main principles is commitment. So mm -hmm. commitment to your values and living each day, um, incorporating action to uh, fulfill your values. So whether your value is um, charity or kindness or, or family, finding ways each day, and they can be little ways, but each day to work towards your values and um, really help feel fulfilled in your life. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's, that's, it's funny, it's fascinating, because again, it's another correlation, because right, we, we talk often about value clarification exercises. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah. And, and I and I make some of my clients so like actually write it down on a card and put this card in their pocket. Mm -hmm. That's a great, that's a great technique. You know? Yeah. So when you come to a question, when you come to a place of like what to do, mm -hmm. right, you can weigh it against the values that really matter to you. Yes, absolutely. Right? Mm -hmm. but, but what is in, important, I'm sure you'll agree, is that you have to be very honest. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's hard. It is. Absolutely. And for some some people more than others who may be kind of stuck in that cycle of wanting more material things or when I get this promotion or, you know, I value money or success. Um, those are are definitely trickier to get to yeah. the root of um, and and that can be a, a longer process of getting to the bottom of that um, but I love that the values card is a great reminder and I I also like um, writing you know a, a statement or a sentence on a piece of paper similar idea that can help pull you out of a difficult um, situation if you're feeling, right really self-critical, you're beating yourself up, have a statement that you write when you're in a good place that will help you help yourself get out of that. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny because I, I think that you're right. It's difficult and for people to acknowledge, but I think, right, that if we are able to create spaces without judgment, right, if your top value is financial stability or financial mm -hmm. freedom, that's a real value. I have no judgment over that, right? If if being because right because there's so much trauma around, so like mm -hmm. that we that we carry with us. But if making sure that you are rich mm -hmm. is your value, then decisions you'll make to make yourself richer will actually make you happier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. But if you pretend that you are about being nice, but you really want to be about rich, mm -hmm. you'll always be miserable. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. That honesty piece. It's it's really important. To, take time and reflect on what, what's really at the core, what's driving me and the financial piece too. Like you said, there's probably some underlying 
reason for that, some insecurity, um, which is absolutely worthy of, um, you know, unpacking and, and getting to the root of that too. Um, so that's a great point. Yeah. How do you, so in order to do this work in this honestly, like, right, like we said before, like you have to be ready. How do you know if you're ready, right? Can, is there like a, a self-administered test? Is it like a meeting with a psychologist? Like, how do you know that you're ready for the work? Right, because yeah. you hear this a lot, and it's very, it's very in right now. Like, right, you have to do the work, the internal work. You know, I, yeah. I use this language too. But how do you know that you're ready? Because sometimes yeah. you're just not, and yeah. nobody wants to feel like, oh yeah, please let me talk about my deepest, you know, darkest yeah. wounds. Right, exactly. And and I think for everybody, we have days and moments where we're not ready, where we're not in the right headspace to talk about our childhood trauma. You know, there are days where we just kind of go through, get done what needs to get done. Um, but I think the the answer to that, as far as how do we know we're ready, is when we have the thought that we want to learn more about ourselves and we're open to working with somebody to do that work, to problem solve. Um, and I think that Oftentimes people will, you know, try and be helpful and, and tell others, you should see a therapist, you should do this and that, but really it's, it's up to that person and really only they can know if they're ready, which is, it's tough. That's a really tough thing to define, but if there's, I think, a desire to understand more about yourself. I love what I love what you said because for me, like that combination of wanting to know more about yourself, but wanting to do it with somebody else. Yes, I think that is so. I mean, how clever! I mean, I think that is so true, especially in what we were talking about connection. Is that you might be ready by yourself, you might want to, but until you're ready to do it with some other person, with yes. some connection, some reflection, mm -hmm. then you're not ready. Yeah. A hundred percent, because like you said, we can't do the work by ourselves because there's nobody there then to bounce off those ideas with. And and sometimes, and this, this is pretty common, but there can be a level of defensiveness um, in therapy. And that's something that can be worked through um, with somebody. But you're right, there has to be that initial, okay, I wanna do this with somebody. I, I do need some help here. And that's humbling too. I love that. I think I think that's I think that's a real thing. Mm -hmm. I, I actually I, I think that's a real a real takeaway for me. Um, back to COVID a little bit about right sort of mm -hmm. and, and sort of like the the long term effects of of things and and how we see ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, within right within the sort of the therapeutic environment, there's a lot of talk, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of conversation, but but I think, right, some people f can find out, okay, at some point, like, enough with the talk, right? Mm -hmm. Enough with the, uh, with the, with the kind of reha rehashing it. Yes, Sorry. I hate my mother. <laughs> I don't hate my mother. Right. <laughs> like, but yes, you know. Sorry. I, I'm resentful of my mother sometimes. <laughs> but I don't hate my mother. Honesty, yep. <laughs> no, 100%. I mean, I, I, I love my mother 100 Really, I really do. Uh, but, but in many ways, she had no business having children. <laughs> Um, so, but, um, in the question of, um, of sort of this sort of therapeutic environment, um, how do I measure my, my cognitive ability, right? How do I measure, right? If I'm making progress mm -hmm. or, or, or if there's decline, if COVID has, has hurt me, if mm -hmm. something else has hurt me, right? So like, how do I how can I tell, right? Um, yeah. And the follow-up that would be like also, which sort of can be woven into like, if you've had COVID, should you go to a therapist? Like, mm -hmm. is that something you commend if you had COVID to sort of like, you know, uh, almost like establish a baseline and yeah. then see yeah. if you did or not? You, yeah, that you took the words right out of my mouth. That That's impressive. Baseline testing, I think is a great, thing for anybody for baseline neuropsychological testing because we all age regardless of 
COVID, you know, even pre-pandemic, we all get older, accidents happen, um, you know, there's no way to predict the future. So I, I think for everybody, it's a good thing to have baseline neuropsychological test data. So then in the future, you can compare if you start to notice a decline or you feel like your memory's slipping or you're having trouble focusing, you'll have that test data to compare to down the road. Um, so I think that that's a great thing for anyone, but that's probably not realistic. Um, but, you know, as far as people who are debating being tested, who may have had COVID, I think it's a really helpful tool to objectively see how you're doing cognitively. If you are noticing or you're noticing word finding trouble, which is a, a common um, symptom after COVID or even brain fog, which is a, another really vague term that can mean different things for different people. But to get the neuropsychological testing, we can get actual objective evidence of where you're at, which can be reassuring to some people to see, okay, I, I feel like I'm slipping, but maybe it's more anxiety. Maybe mm -hmm. I'm reading too much into it. Or if there are some issues, we can get you some treatment to help mm -hmm. you. Um, whether that's therapy or cognitive rehabilitation to work on those weak areas of cognition. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a really important tool. And, um, and, and therapy, I think anyone could benefit from therapy, but of course there's a readiness factor. Um, so you have to take that into account. Do you, are you ready right now for it? <laughs> Oh, I'm ready. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so say more about sort of this cognitive, this sort of cognitive therapy, right? Because mm -hmm. it sounds like if I'm, if I'm understanding correctly, that sort of, if there is some decline and you have some kind of thing and it was like, there's, there's things that you can do, right? That it's not yes. hopeless, right? It's absolutely. not downhill always. Yep, absolutely. And that's a really important thing to know going into it, because as we were talking about earlier, denial, there can be a reluctance to learning more if that's bad news. But the good thing about this is even if there has been cognitive decline or, you know, there's a memory weakness or we find something, there are treatments out there. So cognitive rehabilitation therapy is basically working one-on-one -on -one with a cognitive rehab therapist on developing compensatory strategies for your cognitive weaknesses. So it's really tailored for each person individually, depending on what you're going through or what your test scores show. So if it's attention, there are certain uh, strategies that someone can work with you and, and practice with you. And um, also if somebody's working or if they're studying, if they're a student and they're struggling, you can bring that in to treatment and with your cognitive rehab therapist, you can try and um, mimic that environment and then brainstorm with the therapist about, okay, what's something we could try here that might help you in real life, in real time. Um, and there's been evidence to support that that is helpful and, and productive, particularly with concussion. Um, so we've seen in concussion how helpful cognitive rehab therapy can be. And of course, with COVID, it's all new. Um, so there's not much research yet on cognitive rehab with COVID. Um, but just based on the concussion literature and, um, I, you know, we're, we're hopeful that cognitive rehab will be helpful for patients suffering from long-term symptoms of COVID. Fascinating. Um, do you have some like, you know, basic like, so like, thoughts or tools or things sort of that like, you know, people could, you know, can think about if, if they're having that, like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, some basic strategies that are often used in cognitive rehab are, well, I would say the first thing is just being aware, mm -hmm. being more aware of your thoughts and what's going on in the moment, which is difficult because in, in our busy lives, we're going from A to B and, we're more focused on, did we complete that task? So I would say the first step often is just being more aware of what your mind is doing, mm. um, slowing down, um, checking your work, 
which again, with, with society today, that can be tough because I hate checking my work. I've always hated yeah. checking my work. Yeah. Right? yeah. I can't tell how many teachers throughout my life would be like, you know, Iggy's so smart. And if he would check his work, it would be good. But like yeah. I rush and then I'm done. Exactly right. And that feels good, right? That rushing being the first one done. Um, and that is, yeah, that, that competitiveness is, it's, it's a hard thing to shake. So that's part of it. Just slowing down, um, being more comfortable with taking your time um, and breaking things down piece by piece, um, breaking things down into smaller chunks, particularly with memory. If we're trying to remember, um, you know, a bunch of things, of course, there are some external um, strategies that we can use, like make a to-do list, use a calendar. Um, if and, and some people may have different preferences where uh, uh, and a small agenda doesn't really work. They need a wall calendar and you need to write it down. As soon as you get that information or appointment, do it first thing. Um, so part of it's lifestyle changes and just working with somebody about what can we do, whether it's external changes or internal strategies. Um, but it's, I really think the, the, one of the best things about it is that it is individualized. There's no one size fits all. Um, you know, it's depending on what you're coming in with. Your therapist will work with you and meet you where you're at. I, that, that's that's really great. I, you know, it's funny, again, in spiritual life and recovery, we have things built in, mm-hmm. right? There is like pr- prayers or blessings or moments of meditation, right? Where it's built in to check in. Where are you? Slow down. Think of your breath. Think of what you're feeling, mm-hmm. you know, in that sense. And, and it's true, this sort of the, the strategies of, writing things down or calendars and all that is is always is always very helpful um i, I can tell you that like that's like from from you know from a personal point of view um y- you know I, I i've always been told i was very smart right so like so i you know i, I don't think i'm bragging but like right that's one of the things of like that defines who i am uh-huh. and and part of it was my memory i have a very good memory i've always had a very good memory which has saved me because i'm not that smart i just have a the truth comes out (laughs) exactly uh which is true we somehow think the memory is 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 an is a as a a a part of or or it's like signifies intelligence which it does in a way but but sometimes it it really it really isn't because it's Mm -hmm. not something i can always control right i just remember things as a kid Mm -hmm. but lately right and i'm approaching my 50s lately my memory is not as quick as it used to be Mm mm-hmm and I'm aware of it. I'm aware that sort of like when somebody asks me a question, something that five, 10 years ago, I would know instantly mm-hmm. now takes me a minute to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, oh, and I have yeah. to tell you, it, it distresses me mm-hmm. because yep. I'm losing part of my identity around this. And, and, and it, it, when that happens like in a serious manner, yeah. it actually makes me very sad. I mean, it, it really distresses me emotionally because like, where is this going? Sure. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head there with we oftentimes associate memory with intelligence and that being such a big part of your identity throughout your whole life to feel like that's becoming a little bit weaker. That's a a difficult transition. And um, I, I think it's common as we age, you know, I, I know it's common. Our right. our memory does. I think that's been proven. Exactly. It has, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and but uh, the work around it of you know doing that examining of of what does what does memory mean to me? Is that who I am, or you know that's just a part of me? That's just a, a piece of how my brain works. Um, and, and doing that work to really take a look at what it means to you and um, and reckon, reconciling that that piece of you doesn't define you. And again, going back to the worthiness piece, it doesn't make you any less worthy um, or kind. So, but that is, yeah, that's a really, really honest um, observation. And I think that, yeah, it's, because it feels that way sometimes. It feels like, right, if my identity is wrapped around my memory mm-hmm. and my intelligence, it feels that way that sort of if I'm losing it, then 
am I worthy as a person, right? Sure. So like, right? Yeah. And, and even somebody like me who's, who's in the work, <laughs> yeah. it, it feels like that. Yeah. Um, are there, I mean, I, I think I know the answer to this, but like, are there ways to, to reinforce my, you know, uh, I guess I'll call it a uh, uh, neuroplasticity or whatever, sort of like, mm-hmm. right? So like, yeah. are there ways to sort of to, to delay the, yeah. the sort of like, cognitive decline yep. I'm, being a little, I'm being a little dramatic but yeah. like <laughs> sure yeah no absolutely and you know there's no unfortunately there's no pill there's no right. magic um you know mixture that will help um keep us sharp it's it's a combination of things um and I'm, contrary I'm, to the instagram who wants uh, to sell me all the pills exactly there. right exactly yep yep beware of any instagram ad that tells you this is the key to you know, anti-aging or right. your memory saying perfect. Um, there's no easy solution, but yeah, it's a combination of things like um, staying active physically and socially. Mm-hmm. Um, research has shown that exercise and doesn't necessarily need to be rigorous. Um, walking is great. Mm-hmm. Just staying exercise, staying consistent with your exercise Um also socializing, communicating with others. Connection. You know, We're back to connection. Exactly. Connection. Exactly. Yep. So important to our health mentally and physically. Um, and also a, a healthy diet and mm. a balanced diet. Um, so making sure that you're getting all of the nutrients that you need. And, you know, I'm no nutrition, but um, just making sure you're getting a balanced diet, that you're taking care of yourself, that you're eating enough um, and you're eating enough whole foods to fuel your body and your brain. Um, sleep is another factor too, of course. These are all you know, pretty general staples right. for health, but getting enough sleep, making sure it's quality sleep, giving your body time to rest and recharge each day. And do you, would you, would you um, recommend like like other mental exercises, right? I mean, there's all these apps and stuff about like, you know, all these things. And do you recommend them? Do you think that they are, that they are worthy? Do you think this, that they help? You know, that's a great question because the research is, is mixed on that. Mm. Oftentimes the exercises that are out there will, if we do them over time, we'll get better at the exercises. Right. But I think it's questionable as to do those translate over into our day-to-day life. Hmm. Does it really change our brain structurally? I don't think there's a definite answer as to that. Um, The exercises are useful. I found with patients in cognitive rehab therapy in that we can talk about them together, talk Hmm. about the strategies internally that you're using. Um, and again, there's that connection that that other right. person to help bounce ideas back. Um, so I would say there's a time and a place for them, um, but I, I I don't think they're the the priority. Right, <laughs> you're being very political. You're being very like nice about it. So like they, yeah. they don't work. Yeah. But, but but if you enjoy them yeah. and you could talk about yeah. them, like, like absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Some people love crossword <laughs> puzzles, you know. Go to town. They they can't hurt you. They won't right. hurt you. Um, but I, I think some other factors are more important as to staying overall. Healthy. You know, it's it's funny when you say crossword puzzles because I find that there's a neck there's a there's a nexus there between on one hand as I get older I know more so mm-hmm. I get to make it they're easier for me. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I have more loss. Mm-hmm. So they're harder for me, but I remember that they used to be easier. And now that, so, so it's not always clear. Yeah. It's it, right. It's kind of like this sort of like a balance of pain and pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> sort of like yeah. in that sense of like, I don't know exactly what this, this sort of itch is. Sure. Um, and sometimes I want to avoid them and sometimes I kind of want to check again. And, 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 and I don't always know if it's healthy for me. Yeah. And that's a good point. That comparison can be, damaging if if we're comparing ourselves to you know how we think we used to be at a certain activity um, and that can really bring to light changes um, or or it, it can be just enjoyable to challenge yourself if you go into it with the right mentality but yeah that's a there's no as with a lot of things there's no one size fits all 
answer. Right. You know, in in uh, in one of the articles that sort of you you wrote, I think, in Practical Neurology, right? You were talking about sort of like um, the the memory loss, right? So like mm-hmm. sort of the attention and concentration decline, mm-hmm. right? The sort of the, the decline of uh, executive functioning, mm-hmm. uh, right? Sort of um, presumably, right, with COVID, but also as it relates to other things, right? I, I need to prepare myself, right? Mm-hmm. That sort of that my cognitive right, is, is declining, right? It's not mm-hmm. tomorrow or whatever, but it's declining. How do you prepare somebody for the fact that sort of they have to change, mm. they have that they're going to decline, that it's going to be harder. Mm-hmm. Like how does right? How can we prepare for this in a way that sort of makes us feel, I guess, better for it? Yeah, absolutely. I think a big part of that is normalizing mm-hmm. the aging process. And again, there's so much resistance in in society to aging and getting older. There's so much, I think, fear around getting older. So I think the first thing is just normalizing it and and education on what's normal. Everybody will will experience these things to a certain degree. It's just part of being human. Just like everybody will get some wrinkles. (laughs) Um, You know, everybody will start to slow down a little bit. And it's difficult because on one hand, logically, we may understand of course, but it feels different when you're in it. Um, but I do think that at least having that baseline education about it um, will hopefully help soften the blow. Um, and then that's where that communication comes in to be able to talk freely about it with other people who may be going through the same thing to recognize again, okay, I'm not alone in this. Um, this isn't just some strange foreign Thing happening to me <laughs> uh, that, and that can provide a lot of comfort right in in this sort of right in this sort of field of right neuropsychology neurology um right that word which we've said a few times here like normal but part of me sometimes feel like there is no normal right every brain is like we yeah. keep comparing ourselves to this sort of normal brain or no but but there is no normal mm-hmm. and 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 are we doing ourselves a disservice by constantly sort of like comparing yourself to some kind of mythical normal? Like who's normal? I'm not. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for absolutely. Cognitively, emotionally, nobody is normal. Normal is just not, there's no way to define it. Right. Everybody has their own baseline that's different. Everybody's brain is different. Everybody has their own strengths and weaknesses, even without any type of injury or disease. Some people are really good at math. Some people are, you know, really good at with, with language. Um, and that doesn't mean that there's one normal way to be or that one's better than the other. It's just everybody's created a little bit differently. So, 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 right. So in, in that sense, right. And, and also, so in regards to recovery, right. If we are allowing our uniqueness to show, right, and we reject this sort of this normality, right, we we can, right, we can produce more positive attitudes toward. No, this is just who I am, mm-hmm. right. As long, of course, as I'm not harming myself or others, right. Yeah. But, but to stop saying like, well, no, this is just this is just that, right. Mm-hmm. And 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 it, because I think at least in recovery, and I'm sure you've encountered it with sort of throughout your medical, right. Especially when young people, right? We think we constantly diagnose them with all sorts of different things mm-hmm. because we're not quite sure where to put them. Yeah. Because, right, they they are more sensitive, or they are more sad, or they don't know where they are, or they're struggling with things. And because we've created a society that doesn't allow them to express those struggles, mm-hmm. then we all of a sudden are like, well, why are you so sad? And then all of a sudden they're like bipolar, or right. all of a sudden they're borderline, or right? Yep, yep. There's such a need to label people and to put them in different classifications. And that's a, a, a real issue, I think, in the in the mental health world. Um, and in, in some cases, a diagnosis can create more resources and, and support for somebody. But I think in other in other cases, it can really harm a person by putting a label on them that's just not justified, um, just for the sake of being able to 
say that you figured out what's going on. Um, I do think that that is a real issue today and and people carry those labels with them and it, it shapes how they view themselves throughout their whole life. Right, and, and that for me, right, is, is the, the sad interesting thing about it, so like, right, because once you put that label, if you identify with that label, you you can lose the incentive of your ability to change. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Because, right, yeah. if I'm this label, this diagnosis, then that's who I am, and then I will never be able to change because that's just my medical condition. Yep. And and it's not always the case. Or, or even with the medical condition, there's still there's still ability to change, and not the oblivion, if you will, of of my of my pain. Yes, absolutely, and that's a big one for different medical diseases, conditions. Um, I think labels in that sense can really hold people back. And, you know, even if that disorder is, is, it's true, it's, it's valid, we can still move forward and and work on things that we want to improve on or or heal. Um, We may not find a cure, we may not be who we were 10 years ago, but we can still grow as people. And, and I think labels can really um, prevent people from from seeing that, that potential for growth. How do we, right, we have a few more minutes. How, how do we, um, how do we promote that, right? How do we promote the sort of people feeling that there's always room for growth, right? We, we right, our, our center is called Chuva Center, right? Chuva means repent, but it also means answer, and it also means to return. Mm-hmm. Return to a higher self, return to home, return to a place where we were the best version of ourselves. H- how do we promote this sort of notion of the ability to grow and to change mm-hmm. when, when so much of our society is is really more about the diagnosis, the box, where we are? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it starts, I think it can start small by our interactions with people. Every person matters, but asking questions that can help a person maybe think beyond their diagnosis or the label they've been given, but asking questions that can help them um, maybe start to think about um, possibilities that may they may not have thought about. Um, and I think talking and talking to people, keeping that in mind as well, that this is a person. They are not their diagnosis, that they are a whole person. Their diagnosis may be a part of their current condition, um, but they, they are still their own unique self. Um, and I think that's a big part of it too for people um, dealing with illness to, to realize that they're still the person that they were, you know, at their core years ago Mm -hmm. before this disease. Um, but yeah, I think it starts small. Where do you see, I guess, sort of neuropsychology going? Like what's the, what's the next adventures? Yeah. Right. Great question. So I, what I love about neuropsychology is it's a really great intersection between cognitive science, understanding the brain, how people are different, um, and psychology, emotions, what people experience, you know, uniquely and also collectively. So I love those two aspects and I love that neuropsychology combines them both, um, so I think the field has a lot of room to grow in in learning more about um, different conditions, how we age, um, and and solutions ultimately as well. So not only being able to figure out um, more about memory and attention and language, but also figuring out what helps people feel better. How, how can we take that knowledge and then help them apply it to their day-to-day life and feel better and function better? That's, that's I think, for me, the end goal um, with, with neuropsychology. Do, do you think there is a future for, in humanity where we overcome the things that we were talking about, that sort of we get to a place where there's more 
both acceptance and, yeah. and less need of neuropsychology in that sense? Yeah, I, I hope so. And I think I do think so. And I think there will always be a need to 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 understand certain processes as you know, as far as diagnosing dementia or after a head injury to figure out where's the person at. But I do think that the stigma around that and those this, the stigma that surrounds um, cognitive impairment or, or brain injury, I think mm-hmm. that's where we can see change. And I am hopeful that we can, partly through education um, and just talking about it with people we know and keeping in mind that everyone's different. Um, it doesn't it doesn't define you. There are many things that make you who you are. So so on that and so like this is the last bit but, but like cuz you just like right within right within your research within so like brain injury like where is the person at? Right? So like so where are we? When I I think that is is a great place to to examine spirituality mm-hmm. because I think that's something that we can't really answer. Um you know, and that's where I think there's a there's a space where science can only get you so far. And then there's the spirituality piece of, but who is that person at their very core? Um, and that to me is so intriguing. Um, I think that's where spirituality is needed to give people mm. some purpose and meaning. In, in that sort of concussive state, right? In the shaking of the brain, does that... Does that illuminate where where the person is, or or is that just sort of like the tr- like right? It's almost like yeah. <laughs> there, there is there is an old Aramaic saying which which is used as a, as an insult, but it's called istra balagina kishkishkaria, which is Aramaic for a one coin or one little ball in a big in a big. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, keg makes a lot of noise uh-huh. it basically is like that you know stupid people talk a lot yeah <laughs> like they like make a lot of noise yeah. uh-huh. but 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 in in this sort of like rattling of the brain right from your research right does that illuminate like part mm-hmm. of the things like oh this is core but this is something else this is the trauma but this is something else or does it really just is one big sort of like mush that's a great question so from a physiological standpoint I'm not 100% sure, but I, I, from a more psychological piece, mm-hmm. I, I've seen when people go through a traumatic experience, it can cause a, a total um, re-examination of, of life and, and purpose and mm-hmm. what, what matters. And I don't know that there's a, you know, an anatomical um, part of the brain that, that explains that, but I think that that trauma and that um, adjustment and that change can really trigger that that question and re-examining everything that that a person um, thought they knew or maybe took for granted previously. So I think that is a really um, common and important um, aspect of, of of injury that reassessment right. of life. So it could be right. So like we, we always talk about a shift of like from why is this happening to me to why is this happening for me? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Getting out of that victim mentality to, to recognize that we still have control right. over some things. Um, we can't. Con- there's a lot we can't control right. <laughs> the pandemic, but some things we, we still can. Do you believe that there is a core self? that there's a true self of us and then for right sort of looking at sort of concussive people and all that in brain injury this so that yeah. it tries to always kind of show itself yeah i do i do and i think in in my work with patients um part of the work is to figure out how that self is still there and how that self can still be heard even despite some of these changes whether it's physical cognitive um, I do believe that we all um, have a core self and, and a soul um, and that can be, you know, um, bruised, beaten and changed, altered. Um, but I think that the crux of who we are is, is there and it have, can take time. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen through your work, like when, when that happens, when somebody who has trauma all of a sudden, 
the the self comes out or kind of breaks through the shell? Like, how does that look yeah. like? Yeah, I, it's a beautiful thing, and it, it sometimes it's not. Oftentimes, it's not a monumental. It's not very dramatic. Yeah, exactly right. It's not like an epiphany, but I, I see it in glimmers and in in glimpses with people as they, you know, make peace or, or find some acceptance of their situation, but they're able to still find joy and reconnect with things that they they love, and that may be also creating new connections with things right. that they love, but. Um, I, I do see it and it's a really, really beautiful thing. How do we nurture that? Right. Cause I think that's again, a place of recovery, right? Because mm-hmm. so many people, right. Go through the trauma of their addiction or whatever and things. And, and again, self-identify everything we talked about, but then the, the, the return, right. The glimmer of the person, how do we nurture that and say like, Oh, that, that, let, yeah. Bring, yeah. Bring that out. yeah. Yeah. I think a big part of it is, is joy. What mm. brings a person joy. And that sounds like such a simple thing, but I think it can be really difficult sometimes to tap into that, um, that, that pure primal joy. What makes you happy? What makes you feel connected to? I think connection's a big part of that. I love that. That's that's important. And it's important, right, to, 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 to nurture those moments, right? To allow ourselves to, again, to not identify with our trauma, with our addiction, with the thing, we, even without decline. Yes. Um, right? Absolutely. To find those moments. And I like, I like the joy is the, is, is yeah. the part of it. Yeah. Uh, wow, fascinating conversation. Uh, last thoughts? Any? Yeah. I, no, I really enjoyed this conversation. I, you know, I think it highlights how important science, psychology, those are very important, but at a, certain point spirituality comes into play um so it was you know i really enjoyed it it made me think yeah no we, we definitely right? right spirituality is is in many ways uh for me at the core of a lot of these ideas because it, it does allow us to to break the box if you will yeah right? it does like you know what it doesn't fit here it doesn't fit there yeah. but it is who i am right yes. absolutely right it's an answer to I think a question that not much can answer or explain. Or just the question. Do you have a spiritual practice? Do you have spiritual practices? I do. Yeah. I I would say I'm a spiritual person um, and and traditions to me are really important. Just being with family and and understanding what those traditions mean to the family. To me, there's a really big connection with spirituality and family. Right. So as we end, for you, spirituality is what? For you, spirituality is? Um, For me, it's a belief in in God and a higher power and kind of all coming back to that connection, love, family. I love that. Yeah. Dr. Sarah Gulick, this was fascinating. Thank you. Thank you for your work. Thank you for for your for your passion and and also for this really phenomenal conversation. I, I. I love this idea. And and in that sense, sort of to, to recap it, to say like, right, these two things as you brought up, sort of acceptance and commitment, right? So yes. like I would say like, right, like exactly. the awareness, but also the, the, the work and the grit that we have to do in order to move forward in whatever we do in life. Yes, absolutely. Exactly. Yep. Acceptance and commitment and um, honesty, connection. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you very much. Uh, everybody, thank you for listening. This is uh, Rabbi Egev Tattoos and Torah. Uh, and if you just Google Dr. Sarah Gulick, you'll find a lot of amazing things that she's written before. Thank so, you. Uh, thank you again. Thank you.